to our Wednesday night equipped class as we're going to start a new series that I am beyond excited about. And uh, I get to be a student tonight, so I'm really excited about that. We have Bill Loveless with us this evening. Can we bless Bill? Give him a hand. He's going to come up in a minute. He's visiting, reconnecting with family. And uh, so Bill's with us tonight. He's going to kick off this new series that we're doing. And even the title to me is engaging, Free to Love. And we're going to hit the ground running tonight, and we're going to continue. Bill will not be with us every Wednesday night. We might have him back in the middle if he's got time. So, But we're going to continue through the series. The workbooks will carry us through the entire series. So uh, they're $10 a piece. So if you have 10 tonight, great. If not, then we can, we can make these available. We'll have uh, several available. And so when you can, do that. But um, so without any further ado, I want to pray, and then we're going to bring Bill up. And it's just good to see everybody and kind of be back, I would say, for the fall, but it is still feels like summer to me. So eventually we'll get there, right? Russ says he hates September the most because it's, it's the teaser month where you think it's supposed to be getting cool and it's not. So I'm kind of with you on that, Russ. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the privilege of coming together as sons and daughters, as friends and family. We come before you, a loving God. We come before you, one who whose heart is toward us, whose face is toward us, whose favor is toward us, according to your word in Psalm that says your favor is for life. And we're grateful. Tonight, Lord, we open our eyes that we may see in our hearts, that we may know the truth that sets us free, our ears that we may literally hear the truth. And that's our heart tonight. So, Lord, we posture ourselves as students, as disciples, as pupils, as learners. And Lord, we thank you for Bill. Thank you for his heart. Thank you for Paige as well. And what a, what a couple they are. And we're so grateful for the relationship that we have with them. And we honor Bill even as he comes to speak tonight and to teach tonight. And I thank you for this man because he lives what he teaches. Before he teaches it, he's living it. And I'm thankful for that. And I'm thankful for our friendship and our partnership in the, in the things of the kingdom. So we honor you tonight. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen and amen. Go ahead and welcome Bill back up. Come on, Bill. All right. Good morning. I mean, good evening. It's a longer day than I thought. Well, I just uh, got back from a 10-day ministry trip in Wyoming and Montana. So I'm kind of like that kid with his underwear on backwards. I don't know if I'm coming or going. <clears throat> you know, I don't know if you've heard that expression before, but uh, just trying to get back in the groove. And you know, um, I um, just people don't just don't get Texas. I don't know what the problem is, but I've got to educate them. So I spend a third of my time educating on what a Texan is, and then we get into spiritual truth. But uh, just so looking forward to being here. I, you know, you're <clears throat> you're our family. Uh, whether you like us or not, you know, it's kind of like I'm a loveless, whether I'm a good loveless or a bad loveless, I'm a loveless, right? They're stuck with me. And, uh, but I found out tonight over dinner that um, we're a ministry that you're the, the bridge supports. And so we want to say thank you. Uh, we, uh, uh, for those of you that don't know what we do, if you've got a book, you should have a brochure in there. And uh, you feel free to go on our website. All our materials are downloadable for free. And we've got videos. And, and we're all about discipleship. And we build uh, relationships with churches. And it doesn't get any sweeter than this one. Okay? Uh, th this is home 
for Paige and I. And, you know, we, who knows? We're going to get the van and move from Bernie to Fredericksburg. And so pray for us, will you? Because uh, uh, we, we love you guys. You know some people? Okay. <laughs> okay. You, got, you know some people. All right. Sounds good. Well, it is a joy to be here. Um, and uh, Paige sends her love. She's uh, still, we're still unpacking. I mean, 10-day ministry trip. It was uh, great to be in Wyoming. We went up to Yellowstone during the week and then up to eastern Montana. And, you know, we've got a bunch of <clears throat> supporters, and we hope that you will be praying for us too now that, now that you're part of our ministry family. But I had one guy write me and says, now let me get this straight. We're going to be down here in 100 degree weather. You're going to be up there where it may be 40, 50, 60 degrees and you want us to pray for you? <laughs> so anyway, but I did write him and say our last day we were flying out of Billings, Montana back home and it was 95 degrees. So uh, anyway, but uh, it's always, always good to be home. But we just had a wonderful time with saints around the country. We're doing more of that. And uh, we hope more of that can be, uh, so you'll know about it, so you can pray for us. But uh, anyway, well, we have prayed. I want to get started uh, on this uh, study, and it's really more of uh, really where I am spiritually. Uh, you know, I don't know about you, but I think we're all on an um, operating table, lifelong operating table. Would you all agree with that? And I don't know about you, but I'd like a little anesthesia with this pain sometimes we go through. And so if God has a suggestion box for the next time around, I'm going to offer anesthesia, right? But what I want to be sharing with you and what's this, this study, and I'm excited that y'all are going through it. It's interesting. I uh, had written a little booklet called Free to Love, and then there are three churches now, including yours, that are, that are going through it, and I knew I was going to expand it. So for three weeks, I was writing like crazy and double the size, and, but I feel much better about it because it's got discussion questions at the end, and hopefully it makes sense as you go through. But the point is, this is where I am spiritually, and I want to kind of give you a little backstory, and uh, what we're going to do tonight is that, in, in one sense, I'm going to review the study, but I'm not a very good review. I, I love to teach. I'm just going to teach you. How's that? I'm going to hit some key points and, and we'll hit some key points in the study, and when you go back in and read it, hopefully it'll make sense, but uh, I'm not much of a reviewer, so I'm going to be teaching. But I want to start with kind of how this took place. What was the background in all this? Well, uh, for 10 years, as I would go out to teach, my wife would say, Bill, when love is felt, the message is heard. The only problem is I, I didn't get the first part of it. I was a messenger, Right. And, and, and the, what I love about your pastor, among many things, is we have the same message, Christ in you, the hope of glory, right? You hear it every Sunday in one form or another. We can't hear it enough. We've got to hear it one more time. So I'm out there giving the message, and God was speaking through my wife saying, Bill, Bill, when love is felt, the message is heard. Well, didn't Paul say the same thing in Ephesians 4.15? And I think y'all are in Ephesians. Speak the truth in what? In love. So I'm going down this path. Obviously, I'm not listening to my wife. And somebody puts this book in my hands, Surrender to Love, by David Benner. Uh, it only took me three times to get it. And it was kind of like the Lord said, Bill, does God ever do this with you? Watch my lips. It's all about love. And, and how this took place is I was uh, on my way to do a... Um, men's prayer breakfast, 
at a church in San Antonio that I've worked with for 10, 12 years. I know the pastor well. He's heard my testimony. And on the way over there, now you need to understand, I don't hear a verbal voice, but it, it was, these were thoughts, because you know the Holy Spirit can put thoughts in your mind. This is how he talks to me, is through my thoughts. And what he said was, is you're not going to be giving your testimony today. I'm going to be doing that. What I would like you to do is to focus on loving these men. And so what that looked like was, I'm giving my testimony, Don, out of one side of my mouth, but I'm praying one prayer for 45 minutes, Lord, love these men through me. And the pastor comes up at the end and he says, Bill, I've heard your testimony many times, but never more powerful than today. And guess what words came to my mind? When love is felt, the message is heard. Well, that isn't where it stopped. I get in the car and I'm driving home now from this prayer breakfast. And then God wasn't through with me yet. And he says, Bill, by the way, I want to let you know you're done in ministry. And, and I said, what do you mean? He said, because I'm going to take care of ministry. Uh, I just want you to become a lover. So my ministry days are over. I'm sorry. I mean, I appreciate you supporting me, but our ministry days are over. I'm going to let the Lord take a, a total control of the ministry. I'm here to love you. And so that, 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 and I'm telling you what, somehow that just kind of let a burden off me because it's not, and of course it was never up to me to minister to you anyway because there's only one minister and that's the Holy Spirit, right? But I just, I, it just for me to come and, and to, to be here to love you, let me just share with you a quote from the book, um, and, and I really highly recommend it. You can get it on Kindle, a great book. But this is what he says, and, and this was a quote. He actually quoted someone else. He said, love is the essence of being human. It's the connective tissue of life, the oxygen of life. Can you all see? Am I standing in the way? Everybody good? Okay. Didn't want to do it. So think about it. Love is the essence of being human. It's the connective tissue of life. It's the oxygen of life. So a guy by the name of Mike Mason who wrote a book called Practicing the Presence of People said this in a blog recently. He said, what non-believers truly want to see in Christians is not how much better our lives are than theirs. No, what they're looking for is one thing, love. For the people of the world are ordinary and broken themselves and in need of love. And what kind of love are we talking about? The love that cancels mistakes, values what is lowly, and mends broken hearts. I just, I'm, I'm a little slow. I'm 69, but I'm getting it, you know? I mean, I, I got one foot in the grave, but I think I'm going to get this before I go. Would you pray for me? So I want to start out with, and, and um, don't follow along in the books because I'm not, you know, I know, you know, there's, there's, there are people that are OCD. Have you heard of people that are CDO? It has to be in alphabetical order. They're so OCD, okay? Think about that. All right, so if you're OCD or CDO, try to put your books down. Just, I'm just going to throw some things out tonight, and we'll, we'll have some fun. Okay, what is our greatest calling? In other words, what is our greatest calling as believers? We all have gifts, and, and we can. Th those gifts are great, but I'm telling you what, I think our greatest calling is to be lovers. Uh, it says in Matthew 22, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? Which commandment is the greatest? He says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. There are three forms of love. God, others, and yourself. Now think about that. Somebody said if we treated, if we really love our neighbor like ourselves, the murder rate would really be much higher. Because there's so many self-haters. That's what I was. For so many years, I was a narcissistic self-hater. You know what that is? That's somebody who loves to hate themselves. And I'm telling you what, 
I know now my new identity in Christ, and I know you do if you've been to this church very long. You can love that new self, that holy, righteous, accepted, loving self. Amen? See, I tried this in Montana. It didn't work too well. But I, I know you guys, it's, it's always good to come home. But also, Jesus says this, a new commandment, I give you, love one another even as I've loved you. And Paul sums it up in one word, right? He says the whole law is fulfilled in one word, love. Love your neighbor as yourself. So when we look at God's value of love, 1 Corinthians 13, and here again, folks, I, I know you know these verses, but could you just kind of hear them for the first time? I've just, I've just got to go back and hear them for the first time over and over again because it's not what we know, it's what we believe, right? Information without revelation leads to no transformation. So we don't need any more information in a sense. We need the Holy Spirit to move it deeper, weave it deeper into our hearts. So he says this, if I speak in the tongues of men or angels but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or clanging symbol, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains. But now look at this. But do not have love, I'm what? Have you thought about that? I mean, I don't, Jimmy, I'm still working on this one. I am nothing. Hmm, okay. All right, if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. That's God's value of love. But he also has a priority, and I think God's priority is love. Look at 1 Corinthians 13 again. Love never fails, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is what? Wow. So what does he say in 1 Corinthians 14.1? Because after 1 Corinthians 13, he's told us all about love. And what are the first two words of 1 Corinthians 14? Pursue love. That's who you are. That is your greatest calling. In fact, there's a guy by the name of Dallas Willard, an incredible saint. I don't know if, you've, if you ever get a chance to go on YouTube and hear him is with the Lord now. I love what he says. I mean, I've got two quotes from him, but he says, Our aim of our love is not to be loving to this or that person, but to be a per person possessed by love as an overall character of life. Love is not what you choose to do. It's what you choose to be. Amen. Did you hear that? It's not what you choose to do. It's what you choose to be. So how do we know we're lovers? What did God do to qualify us as lovers? Well, the first thing is he put his life in us, right? 1 John 5, 12, you know, it's called the bridge, but I call you the life church. Do you mind? Oh, you don't? Thank you, Don. I appreciate that. <laughs> I was going to offend somebody here. I'm trying not to do that, you know? God has given us eternal life. This life is in his son. He who has the son has what kind of life? The life. God, Christ put his, source, his life in us to be the source to love others. How do we know this? We look at 1 Corinthians 1.30. He says, he is the source of your life in Christ Jesus. But not only is the source, you're a container of all of Christ's love. Colossians 2, 9 and 10. For in Christ, are you in Christ? All the fullness of deity lives in bodily form, and you've been given what? Fullness in Christ. So guess what? You contain all of these Christ-like characteristics, but the one we're focusing on is unconditional love. So how much do you contain? Come on. All of it. All of it. You have the fullness to overflowing. But not only are you a container, you're a partaker. It says in 2 Peter 1.4 that you become partakers of the divine nature where we see in 1 John 4.8, God is love You're a partaker of God's love. 
And you guys, I know, are going to really appreciate this, that we're lovers in our true identity. It's part of 2 Corinthians 5, 17. You're a new creation. So guess what? Loving is not only what you do. Loving is who you are. You get that? Do I need to repeat that? I can say it slower. I have the gift of repetition. Okay, loving is not only what you do, it is who you are. You are an unconditional lover in Christ. That's who you are in Christ. One more quote from Dallas Willard. It's not about coming to the unlovable and trying to love them. Rather, come to them as a loving person. Even God doesn't just love. He is love. It's his identity. Like that? But not only, but, but see, God says, okay, you're a container, you're a partaker, this is who you are, but what he really wants is dispensers. He wants this love poured out. Romans 5, 5 says, and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So this is not something we hold on to. We don't put a cap on this thing. We open it up. In fact, let me tell you what, there are two kinds of dispensers, all right? It's what I, first is the eye drop dispenser, okay? So I'm going to give Jimmy a couple of drops, and I'm going to give Don three or four more, but I'm going to be an eye drop dispenser. Could I give you a visual of what God wants, what kind of dispenser he wants you to be? It's called a holy fire hydrant. That's the kind of lover he wants you to be. Can you imagine walking down the streets of Fredericksburg, and the love of God is sweeping people off the streets, I don't know about you. I want to be a fire hydrant. Amen? So pray for me. I'll pray for you. So God is calling us to be lovers. He wants us to be, he wants us to be dispensers. We're going to, you're going to study about two types of love. One is human love, right? And uh, let me give you a visual. These are kind of the circles of our relationships. In the inner circle, we have spouse and our kids. Then we have extended family, close friends, friends, and strangers. So there are two forms of human love. One is ahab love. It's a Hebrew word for the love that you have for your family. Now, there's several words in the Bible concerning love. I'm just talking about two. One is phileo, which is Greek, for the brotherly love that you have for friends. Here's the problem with every form of human love. It's subjective, it's conditional, and it's me-centered I'm going, to, I'm going to break this down for you a little bit as we get into it. But every form of human love is subjective, conditional, and me-centered. Now, the other form of love is what I call the no-excuse love. And I'll, I'll unpack that in just a minute. It's agape love. Let me give you a definition that I stole, but I really like it. Agape love is God's immeasurable, incomparable love for humankind. It is the divine love that comes from God. It is perfect. It is unconditional, it is sacrificial, and selfless. Now, this next slide is not in the form of a question. Somebody called my hand on it in Montana. God bless him, you know, but okay, so just bear with me. This is a statement, but I'm going to ask it as a question. Since you contain all of Christ's agape love, do you have any excuse for not loving everyone? Come on. Does everyone mean? Thank you. Thank you. Your, your name? Jason. Thank you, Jason. Everyone means everyone. Okay, now I, I heard you. 
and I'm going to hold you to it here in about 15 minutes, okay? So what are some of the key truths? Uh, well, let's see, before we get to that, uh, here it is. Agape love loves equally. It doesn't make any difference who they are. You love them equally. So here's some key truths about love. First of all, love and law don't mix. Now, let me unpack that for you, because when I talk about law when it comes to love, we put conditions, expectations, and fleshly rights. Let me give you some examples. Have you ever said this, I will love him or her when? I will love him or her if I can't love him or her because. Those are conditions. Let me give you some examples of expectations. Well, I expect to be loved unconditionally, sacrificially, selflessly, and by the way, I have a list of how I want you to love me. Now, after I said I do many, many years ago, I just handed Paige a list and said, this is how I want to be loved, right? You know what the problem was? She had a list, right? That didn't mesh too well. But we came into marriage with these conditions and expectations about this. The problem is, is when our conditions and expectations for loving others are not met, it leads to fleshly rights. Let me define what I mean. Because fleshly rights are self-centered, sinful demands toward others that are produced by the flesh. Would you like some examples? Let's look at some examples of this. Since you're not loving me the way I want to be loved, I have the right not to love you in return. I have the right to reject you. I have the right to be critical of you. You see how this works? I have conditions. I've got expectations. You're not meeting them, so you know what my flesh says? I have the right to not love you, reject you, be critical of you. How many rights do we really have in the flesh? None. None. So when we look at love, agape love, agape love loves. I, you know, I'm not really, you know, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I was driving down the road one day, and the Lord said, Bill, love simply loves. That's all it does, and you know Why? Because there are no conditions, there are no expectations, there are no limitations, there are no fleshly rights, and there are no selfish motives. Love simply loves. When you look across our country culturally, what we need to understand is that agape love doesn't judge, it doesn't criticize, it doesn't compare, it doesn't take offense, it doesn't hold grudges, it doesn't hold on the right not to forgive. Well, I'll tell you what, there are certain people that I've got a lot of excuses not to love. I don't know about you, but I, I think, let me give you some examples of what I mean. Uh, look at some of these areas. How about in the area of unforgiveness? They must ask for my forgiveness before I can love them. I don't have to love them because they didn't meet my expectations of how I want them to love me. And then, of course, in marriage, the number one problem is unmet needs. Paige didn't love me the way I wanted to be loved. She didn't accept me. So guess what? I don't have to love her. Who's going to meet our needs, Paige or Christ in Paige? Paige can't meet one of those needs, and neither can I meet hers. But I'm telling you what, we, this is the number one struggle in marriage is unmet needs. How about this? If you've been wounded, I won't love them because of how badly they wounded me. The key is love trumps all excuses. There are no excuses not to love. How about this one? This is something the Lord has really been 
uh, pursuing me with love equals power. I want you to think about this. I've been, well, I, I call it marinating, okay? We got music in the background. Isn't that sweet? That's wonderful, man. I, I've never had that before. It, well, if things don't work out here, we'll just listen to the music. That's sweet. I love that. I thought maybe we were in heaven for just a second. Um, love, it can disarm others. I'm talking about love through you can disarm others and make them open and transparent. It can bring a person to brokenness. It can draw an unbeliever to salvation. And guess what? It can move people to love you, the love of God. The, the thing I, I just love about this is the power. And when you think about this, love can penetrate a heart, soften a heart, heal a heart, and transform a heart. And I, I got to tell you a story. I, I think I put it in the book, but I, I just got to tell you personally because it's so impacted me is that uh, we've got this website, and I get this call about eight weeks ago, and it's a black female pastor from Memphis, Tennessee. And she said, this is Pastor Irma McLean. And I said, well, good to meet you. She said, I just want to know if what you teach is true. I said, well, it saved my life, saved my marriage, and hundreds of lives are being transformed. He said, well, she said, would you consider coming to Memphis? And I said, well, I'll pray about it. Well, guess where I was five weeks later? In Memphis, Tennessee. And I'm walking, these are all black churches, all black churches, and I'm walking in there, and I'm asking the Lord, okay, how am I going to, how's this little white dude from Texas going to be received? And you know what he told me? He said, you let me love these people through you, and I'm going to show you the power of my love. You talk about a fire hydrant, I'm telling you what, I said, Lord, you love them through me. And I'm telling you what, it was the sweetest four days of reciprocating love. Lord loved me through them. They love me. I'm going back in October for a week. I love these people. They know how to love. Man, it's powerful. You know one thing I've discovered? Love is colorblind. You know what the Lord just told me? We're going to be the same color in heaven as we are now. You might as well get used to it. Let's just get over ourselves. Let's get over this stuff. I mean, love is colorblind, but the power that God showed me and I'm telling you what, I, I can't wait to get back. Just powerful, powerful. But here's something else we need to understand about love. It's an unstoppable force. Now, here's something you need to understand. You may resist me loving you, but you can't stop me from loving you. I'm sorry. You just can't stop me. I've got a board member that will call me up periodically, and you know what he says? I love you, and there's nothing you can do about it. Come on. Isn't that what God is saying to you and me? I don't care what you've done. I love you, and there's nothing you can do about it. I was in a church in San Antonio, and one of the greeters was in this conference I was doing. I did a conference on this. He said, you know, tomorrow's Sunday, and everybody that walks through that door, you know what I'm going to tell them? I love you, and there's nothing you can do about it. So if you're a greeter here, then, I mean, what would that be like on Sunday morning? How are you doing? Oh, I just love you, and there's nothing you can do about it. Now, what kind of response do you think that might elicit? Wow, and that's the thing, and, and I just, you know, and Jimmy kind of have in this banner, you know, we'll, we'll say this, that same thing to each other. It's an unstoppable force. You simply cannot stop me from loving you. How about this? I think one of the things, and, and uh, this is kind of a segue into walking in this unconditional love, but the Lord brought this to mind one time, and he says, you know, Bill, you're looking at people in one dimension. You're looking, kind of taking them at face value, and you're making these evaluations and judgments. He says, why don't you look in people at 3D? And what I mean by that is 
Look, what about their family background? Do you know the struggles they have? Do you know the relational issues? Do you know some of their spiritual struggles, adverse circumstances? How can you evaluate or slash judge someone if you don't know? So let me give you some examples. <clears throat> can you all read that? What kind of family somebody comes from? And I'm talking about as you're interacting and they say something you don't agree with or they're on edge about something or they're hypersensitive. Is it possible that there's some things going on in the background that if you knew about, you might be a little bit more loving? How about this? What, what are their internal struggles, such as the fears, anxieties, insecurities, relational struggles? What kind of struggles are they having in their marriage with their kids? How about just the spiritual struggles of false beliefs, unbelief, uh, adverse circumstances? I mean, you're, you're dealing with trauma or, or divorce, etc. And then, of course, biblical background. I mean, think about this. What God is showing me, like, because right now, I, I know most of you in one dimension. I know him in 3D, 4D. <laughs> but, but I'm telling you what, if, if I get to know you, which I, I pray that I will over time, and, and Donald and I spent some time, so I know him in 2D, but I'm just saying, I want to know what's behind the curtain I want to know what's driving you. I want to know what motivates you. I want to know what's struggling because what does that allow me to do? Allows me to minister to you. You see what I'm saying? Instead of taking offense, God, you, you believe in that or you, you're for this guy or you're for that? You see what I'm saying? If I'm, if I'm offended, it's going to be very hard for me to love you. Okay? So here's another one. Love people where they are by seeing their spiritual potential. Let me just define what I mean by that. Spiritual potential is how God can transform a person regardless of where they are now spiritually. So let me take you back to October the 4th, 1998. Uh, I had been living a Christian life, a performance-driven, God help me keep the laws and work for Jesus' life. It was killing me. I was exhausted. I was depressed, I was suicidal, I was at the lowest moment of my life, and the Lord brought this to mind. He said, you know what I saw in you that day? I saw potential. Well, guess what? That potential is being realized because I'm still here, and he's opened up this ministry in these churches, wonderful people like you. I'm telling you, <clears throat> I mean, when you see a guy like this, what do you see? I mean, you know, they, these guys are all over Bulverde and, and Bernie and San Antonio. Maybe you have some of these guys here. The question is, do you see the potential in him because God loves him as much as he loves you? And so when you look at yourself, don't, don't look at where you're not because God sees potential in you, spiritual potential. Will you let him take you to where he wants you to take you? I'm seeing things I never thought I'd see this side of eternity I'm the happiest guy I know. And it's only because of what God is doing and opening my eyes. But when I see this guy, I want to see potential. You can sit here and tell me that if you had the worst life in the world, let me tell you what I'm going to see in you, potential. I'm going to love you. I'm going to, I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to point you. And I'm going to say, look, you're still breathing. And I say most of you are. We're, there's potential. And you know what the Lord says? There are just days it gets so good, and he says, oh, Bill, you ain't seen nothing yet. Isn't that, should that be the way in the Christian life? If I'm growing in Christ and abiding in him, and he's transformed, tomorrow is going to be better than today. The best is yet to come. 
I'm just telling you, today's better than yesterday, and tomorrow is going to be better than today. Now, here again, I'm not talking about circumstantially or health or financially. That's, that's all below the line stuff, but above the line, right, God's using. It, it's never about the thing, is it? God's always using the thing to renew, to transform, to, to move you into Christ-likeness. And somebody said, you better watch out. You might just get happy. I'm just telling you, it might happen if you keep hanging in there. How about this? Love's make, love makes you safe. Let me define what I mean by that. Others will trust you enough to share deep things from their hearts that they would likely not otherwise share. I was never a safe person. Uh, I could never be trusted with anything. And for God to do the work who's in me, and the greatest joy I have is to walk with pastors. I love pastors. Uh, and I know you love your pastor. I mean, you've got an incredible shepherd and a loving, but I just love, it's an impossible job. I'm going to write a book, and the title of it is going to be Pastors Are Human Too. Did you hear me? Okay. I got to put on their pants like we do. I mean, they, they struggle. We, we tend to put them on pedestals. I'm telling you, they're, they're, it's the same thing with me. I've got to live this stuff. And you know what my friends are going to put on my tombstone, Don? He'd rather teach it than live it, Okay. And so, but we've got to live it. What makes us safe? What are some characteristics of a safe person? How about a good listener? Somebody who is trustworthy, maybe not critical or judgmental, caring or compassionate, making others feel secure, or others are experiencing Christ's love through me. I do that a lot when I sit down with people. In the back of my mind, just this prayer, Lord, love them through me, <clears throat> love them through me. I don't know where the conversation is going to go, but I'll tell you one thing. I want them to leave that presence of Christ in me knowing they are loved. How would that be? Every encounter, I'm talking about the gal at HEB. I'm talking about, you know, who all the people that you may be associated with. What if you walked in their midst and started saying, Lord, would you love them through me? Stand back. Because it's going to be the power of love that might draw people to yourself. Love is the key to unlock a person's heart. And I, I'm not going to tell you the story. I want you to read it in the book. But a powerful, powerful story. Uh, just to give you the cliff notes that God, I was at my darkest time. It was two years before I heard Ian Thomas. And uh, very, very low. And you know, my last name is Loveless. And it was interesting because for God, he loved me so much, he brought a guy named David Love to me in 1996. And God used him to save me, not spiritually, solically. All the, and, and where I was, I had 48 years of all this embitteredness toward my father, this physical, emotional, verbal abuser. And all this pent-up, I was so angry. And God used him to penetrate my heart and just spill it all out. And David and I are very, very close to this day, but I just never, I just, God does have a sense of humor, doesn't he? I'm going to bring a love to a loveless. Uh, we're going to, one of the chapters, because I get a lot of this, does loving mean I have to like them, trust them, approve of them? And then we talk about boundaries. Well, let me just say this. I'm just going to give you two quick slides on this. There are many legitimate excuses not to trust someone, but there's no excuse for not loving them with the love of Christ. Yeah, that didn't sit well, did it? <laughs> but it's true. I mean, we know that in marriage there can be ways to create distrust, but that there's still, because isn't agape love the no-excuse love? Okay. I'll unpack it in the book. If you like it, fine. If not, rip that page out. 
But, you know, we go into liking. I, I don't necessarily like Vladimir Putin, you know, President of Russia, but I love him with the love of Jesus. Isn't that what he needs? You better believe it. He and a few others like him, right? And then this approval. Uh, I, I'm reading a book called Love no Strings with No Strings Attached, and it's, it's the thing in the LGBT movement. It's that I'm, I love them. I just don't approve of their behavior because it doesn't line up with Scripture. But I love them, right? And so we've we got to understand this love and approval. I think we got this whole LGBT thing wrong because we've been judging them. And what makes their sin any different than yours, by the way? Now, we know there are consequences of greater of a child molester than somebody who's got an anger issue. But I'm just telling you, it's just love and approval. So I, I've unpacked that. And then we talk about boundaries, and, uh, and there are times, okay, uh, they can be toxic people. They can be physical abusers. I mean, different forms of abuse. And, and I know um, you, you got a twofer with your pastor. you got a pastor and a counselor. This guy he knows all. I mean, I love his heart about this stuff, and I'm sure he'll unpack all this about boundaries. But there are these people called life suckers. I don't know if you've ever been around them. You, you get in the same room, they suck the oxygen out of the room. I mean, it's just gone, and you're sitting there back at your, you start by backpedaling. You know, how do I get out of this situation? So the point is, there are people we have to build boundaries around, okay, for protection. Now, I'm going to challenge you in that, though, in the book, because early on, my armor was, spiritual armor was too thin, so if, if you re- said something rejecting, I'd take ownership of it, and I'd feel rejected, and I'd just reject you back, okay? And so I had to kind of build boundaries around people that were kind of like that. But as God has grown me up and thickened my armor, if, if all of you kind of want to just stand in line and tell me how much you don't like me as a teacher or whatever you want to pick, you're going to have to work very hard because I don't have any more boundaries now. I can take the most rejecting person who walks the face of the earth, and he can take, he can take shots at me. But do I have to take ownership of his rejection? <laughs> Is that freedom? You better believe it. That's freedom. So if you want to reject me, 20 years ago it would have been easy. Now you're going to have to work a lot harder than you did before because I'm not taking ownership of it. So I'm saying I did have boundaries, but now in that area there are no more boundaries. Did Jesus have boundaries? Absolutely not. But we need them, but I think it has to do with certain people, certain situations. So just know there, there are people early on you may have, and you may have to have them for the rest of your life. I'm just saying there's some that you may not. So we not, may not approve of someone's behavior, but that's no excuse for not loving them. Okay? So uh, how free are you to love? That's another section, and this is kind of what the book is about. We see that in Galatians 5.13, it says, For you were called to freedom, brethren, not only to turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So I'm going to throw a lot of words up here, and I want you to see if this makes sense to you. Your willingness and ability to love are directly proportional to your experiential freedom in Christ. Now, I know you've got to turn your brain on. You've had a long day. Your willingness and ability to love are directly proportional to your experiential freedom in Christ. Okay? All right, let me throw it to you this way. You have to be free from whatever is blocking your ability to love in order to be free to love God, others, and self. 
All right, now let me give you a visual. I think this, this may clarify everything. Uh, if, if you're breathing today, uh, you've got spiritual blood vessels. And how much blood is in those? All that you need? Please tell me. Yes. I don't do mouth-to-mouth either, so if you go and there's an EMT, they may, but I'm, I love you, but I'm gonna, you know, I'll see you in heaven. Okay? But we all have these blood vessels. It's full of all the blood you need, but you also have a spiritual blood vessel. All right? And you have the fullness of Christ in you, so how much love do you have in this vessel? All that you need. But you see, for those of us over 55 or 60, and you know who you are, there is plaque on your arteries. Can I get an amen from the, thank you, right? And if you don't do something about that plaque, what's going to happen? I'll tell you what, you can stroke out, heart attack, and then croak, all right? And so, but the same thing as this plaque is built up, there's also what I call solical plaque. Let me give you just... Uh, I'm going to give you seven examples of it, but the first four are false beliefs, and I'll give you some examples, unbelief, woundedness, and this self-life, this thing called the flesh. And you know what plaque does? It restricts the flow of blood. In our case, it restricts the flow of love. You have all the love you need, right? It's not a problem of needing more love. It's a matter of getting rid of the plaque so more of it can flow through. So here are just some examples of false beliefs, what the plaque is. How about this? I have to earn God's love. My sin outweighs God's love for me. If I would do more for God, then he would love me. Now, can you imagine if you believe those things that, gosh, you're not going to experience that love of Christ, not going to be able to see it or hear it? How about this? These are just examples, okay? Unbelief. I don't believe God loves me because I don't feel his love, because he let my loved one die. Because of all the sins I've committed, how could he possibly love me? If you've been wounded, maybe you said something like this, if God loves me, why did he allow me to be abused? If God loves me, why doesn't he stop the pain? I worked with a guy long distance. This guy found me from Canada. Don't, don't ever put a website up. They'll find you. I'm telling you, they will find you. <laughs> God will put them onto the website, just like the gal from Memphis. She just happened to be surfing the internet and found our ministry, so don't go to a website. But this guy, he just kept over and over and over. It took eight months for this guy finally to come to brokenness. Thank God he's broken now, and God's really working in his heart. But he's over and over. Why didn't he stop the pain, stop the pain, stop the pain? How about this? I actually ministered to a lady, married uh, three times, and she basically was molested by her father, her, out of her wounds, she says, I feel so dirty and worthless that uh, from being listed that God can't possibly love me. And then just the flesh. I mean, you've got, I mean, this is your flesh, guys. I'm sorry. It just looks like a jackass. That, that's just the way it is. You know what I'm saying? I mean, your flesh, when it, it goes, that's what it looks like. No, nobody likes it. Nobody likes a jackass. And so our flesh is self-absorbed, self-serving, and self-focused, right? It's all about who? Me, and I've got expectations, conditions, and right. So do you see how this plaque of false beliefs, unbeliefs, woundedness, and flesh, what it looks like, here's a visual for you, just, it's just a toxic overflow to everyone around you. And the problem is that our solical plaque not only blocks us from loving others, it prevents us from receiving God's love. 
right? So we're stuck coming and going. But they're just, just when you thought you had enough plaque, let me throw three more at you. How about our judgments, taking offense, self-protection? What are some of the ways that we have judgments? <clears throat> the way people look, their race, their sexual orientation, their choices, their behavior. Uh, how about this, taking offense, taking ownership of someone else, uh, someone's offense towards you, but aren't we offended about everything? Politics, how about that? You offended by that? I'm reading a book that I'm telling you, do not get it. Did you hear me? Do not go on Amazon. Do not get it. It's called Unoffendable. It's by Brant Hansen. It's on Amazon. You can download it on Kindle, but don't get the book, okay? I'm telling you what. My sister suggested I read this book, and I was so offended by the book after the first three chapters, I called her up and I said, I'm just offended. She said, what? By the book. She started laughing. <clears throat> But we are offended by everything. I mean, this book is just, it's like divine acupuncture, every chapter. And God says, just keep reading, keep reading. He keeps exposing, he keeps exposing. And I'm telling you what, I, God is just working on my heart. Because let me tell you what, we're taking offense about everything. And are we not unoffended? Was Jesus ever offended? Never offended. He was unoffendable. I think that's kind of where God wants us to be. Well, here's another thing, too. It's another part of our, uh, and th this is a big one, self-protection. It means constructing walls in the soul to try to prevent others from hurting or rejecting us. And we all do this. If you don't know the truth, we all do this to a certain extent. I don't care how mature you are. God's knocking these walls down. But here's the thing we need to understand. We think these walls protect us from being hurt again when in actuality, they prevent Christ's love and power from flowing in and through us. And you know what I believe most of self-protection is driven by? Is fear. That's right. Let me give you some examples. Fear of rejection. Fear of being hurt again. Fear of failure. Fear of being exposed, right? I mean, what were Adam and Eve, what were they doing after the fall? Looking for fig leaves to cover up. We don't want anybody to see, you know, and, and then fear of losing control. But I'm going to give you some cliff notes here because what is the truth concerning self-protection? Well, how about this? For that in Galatians 2.20, it says, I, this old self, has been crucified. The self you're trying to protect is crucified. Amen. Get an amen on that. It's dead. I don't know if you've ever tried to give a dead person mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation. Don't try it. It ain't going to work. They're dead. This old this self you're trying to protect is dead. It's been crucified. And the good news is you have a new identity. Does the new self need to be protected, folks? No. That loved, accepted, holy, righteous self, it doesn't need to be protected. This is good news right here. This is great news. So what about removing your solical plaque? We're, we're done when exactly? Tell me Okay, well, I, I don't want. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to go through all of this, but I just want to, because there are really two, two ways that I talk about removing your solical plaque. One is, sorry about some of the problems between computers, but one of them is just as we're abiding in Christ, right? Uh, today, as we're living in Christ, by simply abiding in Christ, God is removing our plaque. Now, let me just define abiding as it. It basically means to depend on, rely on, and draw from the life and power of Christ within you. So that's kind of a, 
a passive removal of plaque. I woke up this morning, Lord, live your life in and through me, right? I'm abiding. God's removing. But the, what he's done with me is he says, you have to be intentional. There's an intentionality to pursue me in removing this plaque. Why am I reading the book Unoffendable, <laughs> right? Because that's where he has me on the operating table. He says, Bill, you're just taking all these offenses, and I just need you to stop it, Okay. And so he's exposing me. That's where I am. So I have to be very intentional when I think about I'm sitting in an airport. That's where it's just really easy for me to, to start judging people. I mean, it's crazy. I, I'm sorry. And you're just doing all these external, where are they coming from? God, look at what that person's wearing. I mean, you know, God, I just hear the Holy Spirit. Stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. You know, just, just love them. So there's an intentionality to this. So I'm going to go into a few things about loving the unlovable people in your life. You're, you're going to hate this chapter. <laughs> I'm just warning you. Uh, because you did say something earlier. Do you remember what you said about agape love? Since you contain all of God's agape love, you have no excuse not to love who? Everyone. Everyone. And does that include this guy? Yeah. yeah. They don't know what a porcupine is up there in Montana. I had to explain it to them. <laughs> But, I mean, this is a porcupine. So what do I mean by unlovable people? Maybe those that, who have or just continue to wound you. Maybe they're those that continue to reject or malign you. Maybe they have no interest in your life. It could be an estranged family member, an ex-spouse. For me, it was my brother. He's only hated me for 65 years, held every sin I've ever committed against him. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm telling you things that are not in the book because my wife has said if you ever read the book, he might figure it out. Uh, because what, we, what I tended to do with him is I, I put him in a box, and I think that's what we tend to do is we t tend to take our unlovable people and just put them in a box. Won't think about them, get them out of the way. Well, he lived in Katy, so I, could, you know, I just didn't have to deal with him. Uh, and then one, one day uh, we had this, the four, there were four siblings, and we had this piece of land we inherited from our parents in College Station where we grew up. And thank you. And so... Uh, <laughs> Praise God. All right. Uh, but, uh, and, and so now we're trying the process of selling this thing, and that's when my brother comes out of the woodwork, and he, he, I mean, he's demeaning me. I mean, he's minimizing me. He's abusing me. Every phone call, every text, this went on for two years. So every time I would see him on caller ID, do you think I wanted to take the call? No, I know, but heck no, I didn't want to take the call. And when it came to him, it's not only a labor of love, it was a labor to love. Now, let me just define what, what this means to me. Labor to love. Now, think about these words for just a second, would you? means the intentional pursuit of or the willingness to pursue and depend on God to transform you to love others and to become an agape lover. You're not the initiator. You're the responder. But are you willing to pursue him and depend on him to initiate and be the cause and effect of your life? So when it came to my brother, this is what I said. Lord, please don't ask me to love this guy because I can't do it. Now, you just think about your unlovable person for just a second. It doesn't take long to bring him to mind. So this is what the Lord said. Okay, I know you can't do it. This is the prayer I want you to pray. Lord, I know you can't love this person, so I'm asking you to love him or her through me. So I, I put his name as Jim in the book. That's not his name, but Jim, love Jim through me because I can't love Jim, all right? How about this? This guy's not big on broccoli. 
If you're unwilling to love this person who's going to take you, who's going to take you from unwillingness to willingness. I wasn't willing to love Jim. I, I simply wasn't. But guess what the Lord put on my heart to pray? Lord, I'm unwilling to love Jim because of the way he's hurt me, wounded me, rejected me. I'm asking you to transform my heart to be willing to love him. Do you see, if, if you're sitting here today and says, Bill, you don't know what my unlovable person did to me. I get that. I've got a father. I've got a brother. I get it. You know, maybe it was worse for you. But does that, is there still any excuse? Do you see what I'm saying? We have no excuse because that unlovable person is part of your solical plaque that's restricting the love of Christ through you. And over, if this took about six months, and over six months, I kept praying this prayer, okay? And, and think about this. Is it possible that God is using this unlovable person in your life as a thorn to break you so that you will eventually love this person? I mean, first, they're the scalpel. And remember the no anesthesia part, right? I mean, it goes in, digs out. So when, when he says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 18, and everything give thanks, does everything include your unlovable person? Now, it may be through gritted teeth, right? Like this guy, thank you, Lord, for Jim, okay? And then the Lord said, Bill, I want you to seek me. To, I want to show you the blockage in your soul. I love the prayer by David. You know, search me, O God, and know my heart. This was a prayer that he gave me to pray when it came to, to Jim. Lord, when it comes to Jim, would you expose any blockage in my heart towards loving him or her? There was a lot of blockage. This didn't happen just one prayer. This was a six-month thing. What happens when you think about this, this unlovable person? What kind of thoughts come to mind? Have you ever wondered why it says, take every thought captive? And you know the question when I teach the battle of the mind study? Here's the question. Do you think about what you think about? Do you think about what you think about? See, most of us have an open-door policy. We just take ownership of all your thoughts. My question is, why are you doing that? You've got three filters. You've got the Bible. You've got the Holy Spirit. And also, you have the mind of Christ. So let's, let's put the door on the hinges, put the deadbolt, put the peephole in there. And let me show you, give you an example of what it looks like, okay? Because of all Jim has done to me, my flesh says what? I have the right not to love him. You with me? All that he's done, I have the right. Then I'm engaging God. Lord, do I have that right? What am I doing? I'm now saying, this is the thought. Lord, what do you say about that? And he says, well, you don't have that right because what? You're an unconditional lover in Christ. But what if I just kept taking ownership of that thought like I did for 65 years? Bills, it just bitterness hardens our heart. But it wasn't only impacting my love, my relationship with my brother. It was impacting every other relationship, including my relationship with you. You see? And so he, he had these walls of self-protection. I did. I don't know if Jimmy's ever titled a sermon, Love is Like a Wrecking Ball. Have you ever heard of that one before? How about this, man? This is it right here. Because what I was doing is Lord, I was seeking the Holy Spirit to tear down my walls because I was protecting myself from Jim hurting me. And so the prayer I prayed was, Lord, I'm seeking you to tear down not only my walls of self-protection, but also tear down Jim's walls. And I only have a few minutes, so I'm just going to run through these. There was this process of forgiveness. I had to forgive him for all the offenses. Here are some of the reasons. And I won't go into all of these, but pride... I might lose control. I don't feel like forgiving. 
We see the results of forgiveness. I mean, my goodness, this inner turmoil. We continue to hold offenses. It poisons not only the relationship with the offender, but with everyone else. It cuts off the flow of Christ's love and forgiveness. And guess who's in prison? Jim wasn't in prison. I was in prison. Okay, and it was hardening my heart and all the solical plaque. And when it comes to our unlovable people, do we have any right not to forgive? You contain all of Christ's forgiveness, do you not? All right, and we're forgiving people in our true identity. So this is the prayer, the Lord, uh, the prayer I prayed. Lord, remind me that you've totally forgiven me, and I'm forgiving personally Christ. Therefore, I have no excuse for not forgiving Jim. Now, here's the good news. This went on for six months. Every phone call, every text, we were trying to <clears throat> get this land sold. And, and I just, it just, you know, but I said, I kept praying the prayer. It just was very intentional. Lord, love Jim through me. Uh, move my heart, change my heart. Six months later, I get a phone call. And I look down on the phone, and guess who it was? Yeah, you know, it was Jim. And, you know, there's always that hesitation, Jimmy, about whether or not I want to take the call. And I took it, and I heard a tone I had never heard in all my life with my brother. And here's what he said. Can you help me? He's never uttered those words in our entire life. And you know how I knew God had changed my heart? Because I didn't hang up on him. Right? Right? I, I said, and, and it kind of scared me because out of my words in a different tone, is sure, Jim, how can I help you? It's in that moment I knew God changed my heart. And when we got through with that conversation, he uttered these two words he's never uttered, and the two words were, thank you. And that, that was a year and a half ago. And I'm telling you what, all the conversation, God has grown our love. He's a Christian, kind of a nominal Christian. But just God, you know, just talk to him today. And I mean, he sent me a picture of his new puppy, for goodness sake. I mean, how much closer can you be than that? You know, he loves his dogs. And, and, and I'm just, but I'm just telling you. But the thing about it is, what if your love is never returned? It doesn't make any difference because regardless of the response, you're going to be set free to love. If, if Jim never responded, guess who gets set free? I do. So guess what? Loving the unlovable will most likely be a journey rather than a sprint, okay? Because, and this happened with my father, so I was free to not only forgive him, but see, there's something beyond forgiveness you need to understand. The next level is love. And God can do it, okay? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through, just wrap up a couple of things here. Because where God's taking us is, is this. Please, okay. Love without any conditions or expect, expectations. Love without judging. Love without fear. Love without taking offense. Not only forgiving those who have offended you, but loving them. Because this is what I learned about Jim and about my dad. If you seek God long enough... His love can move you to love the most unlovable people in your life. And you know what it's really done? I can love you more today because I love Jim, because I am freer and freer to love Jim. It impacts how I love my wife, how I love Jimmy, how I love you. You see, there's more plaque removed, so guess what you get? More of the love of Christ. So where he's taking us is, is that, that as, as blood flows in every area of your life, He's transforming you so that love will pervade every relationship in your life. So I want to leave you with two scriptures. I love this one, Ephesians 5. It says, Be imitators of God as dearly loved children and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up uh, for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. 
And then I'll just sum it up with this. Paul says, let all that you do be done in love. Could somebody please help me about what the word all means? Thank you. Thank you. All be done. So I just want to leave you with one word tonight. I love you, and there's nothing you can do about it. Father, <laughs> well, Father, I just, uh, it's such a privilege to be here. I, I, uh, whatever the name is, it makes no difference. These saints, uh, I do love the new name, but uh, Lord, it's, uh, as I told Jimmy, it's a new church, new name, but the same Jesus. And uh, Lord, I just thank you that the same Jesus lives in all of us, this who personifies love. And Lord, you want to break through. You, you really want all of us to be fire hydrants. And yet, Lord, we all have this plaque, and you're asking us, <clears throat> will we take these steps of faith? Will we engage you? Will we be intentional for you to remove the plaque? You know the plaque on everybody's spiritual artery here. And all you're asking is, is just you're knocking at the door, and you want us to open it and let you in to do it. And that's really my prayer is, is, is these wonderful folks go through the study that, Lord, you will just really, whatever it is, whether it's expose, convict, draw, woo, uh, Lord, to become lovers, that, Lord, that's exactly what you'll do. And so I just thank you because I know what you can do. You showed it with my, with my relationship with my dad and with Jim and Lord, I just thank you because I think deep in our heart of hearts, we all want to be lovers. Amen? Amen. Amen. So good to see you guys. Great to be with you. Blessings to you. Thank you. Oh, yes, sir. A nominal Christian. <laughs> well, uh, he doesn't have much of an intentional walk with the Lord. In other words, he, he's not really seeking Christ as life. I know he's saved, but he's just not really... Oh, yeah, I'm absolutely convinced of it. I know he's saved. And uh, uh, so I've got two brothers like that. But no, I'm, I'm going to see him in heaven. There's no doubt about it. But they're just two... Because, see, you have a choice, don't you? You can live in the spirit or live in the flesh, right? Does that affect your salvation? Absolutely not. So he just is choosing to walk in the flesh. Does that make sense? Any other, any other questions? I'm, I'm not going anywhere. I mean, I've got to go home at some point, but... Uh, <laughs> Any other thoughts? Does this, does this kind of help you, just encourage you, discourage you? Um, but I, I really pray that uh, as you go through the book that you won't read it. You just ask the Spirit, what is in this? And there's nothing spiritual about it except the Scripture. But just, Lord, do this work in me and, and, and remove this plaque. Because what I really want to see uh, is I come to this church periodically, and that's the advantage of not going here every Sunday, is that I want to walk in and feel the love, right? I want, to, I want people, because when unbelievers walk through those doors, what do they need? They need the love of Jesus. And what do unbelieving believers need? The same thing. So I just really want this to be a life church, a love church, and I just pray that, that we're going to set our faces towards God and say, Lord, make me a lover. Amen? Okay. Yes, Jimmy. Well, I think part of it has to do with what are the expect. and you probably have a much better answer than I do to that question, but I just feel that, that we're in this self-protection mode, and, and we've got these walls built, and if I, if I love you, then I may have to be vulnerable. 
Do you see what I'm saying? And, and then you might get behind the curtain. And if you get behind the curtain, I don't want you to see what's behind the curtain. Well, what, what's behind the curtain? You know what's really behind the curtain? This new self. Right? But we keep thinking this what's behind the curtain is this inadequate, insecure, unworthy, rejected, fearful self. I just think the people are in this self-protection. And I, what I've discovered is you can't love and be self-protecting at the same time. So to me, I think the number one reason is, is because I'm going to protect myself because you might hurt me, whereas now I'm saying, give it your best shot. You can't hurt me. I'm unoffendable. I'm unrejectable. And as the walls are broken down, now it's, it's just loving. Did you have, you have a thought on that too, Jimmy? Okay. Okay, yes, sir. Okay. Oh, boy. What if you get to the end of the life and only love those who love you back? Well, I, I think, I don't know about you, but when I come face to face with the Lord, which, who knows, today's a good day as far as I'm concerned. You know, the lug nuts are loosening up. You know how it is. It's getting, we're just getting older. But I, we're going to get it then. You know what we're going we're, we're to see and what we're going to feel? The immeasurable, unconditional, eternal love of God that's when we're going to figure it out. It's all about love. It's been all about love. And all God's saying is, let's don't wait. <laughs> right? Do you really want to be surprised when you get in front of Jesus? I want it to be a continuation of the love relationship. Because guess what? We're all going to be in heaven together. Did you get that? <laughs> Forever! Okay? So I want to love you now. And then when we get to heaven, I get to love you for an eternity. See, that's what I want to do. I don't care who it is because I'm going to end up with them. They're going to be in heaven for eternity. So what am I doing judging them? Right? right? Okay, I'll start in again, so don't get me going. <laughs> On earth as it is in heaven. That's it. All right, we'll make that the last word. I know we got to go home. But gosh, it's been a joy to be with you guys. And I'll be going to be praying for you as you go through the next several weeks in the study. So God bless you.